0: You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. My guest today is Jeff Allen, who combines clean, hilarious humor like no other comedian working today. He regularly appears on television, radio, and venues across the country. And with over 200 million views on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Jeff Allen is the world's funniest, most inspiring comedian. And Jeff's very successful side-splitting comedy tour, The America I Grew Up In, drives home the humor in everyday family life, the ups and downs of marriage, the challenge of raising children, and the bliss of the empty nest, and the joys of being a grandparent. Jeff Allen is the best at what he does, making people laugh as hard as humanly possible. So let's welcome the man who can bring the funny, stand-up comedian, Jeff Allen. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Doc. I had a, It's interesting listening to the intro. The uh, I had a woman reach out to me. She goes, what makes you the most funniest person? And I said, my social media guy told me I was. So. Well, you, you what What a shock there'd be some there'd be some hyperbole in advertisement <laughs> well
0: you can't argue with the popularity of over 200 million views and uh you know i i watch all of your videos and you know even after a long day sometimes i just t- pull it up on instagram and just sit there and laugh for the next hour so uh it makes for wow, a great day
1: good. Thank you, doc. Appreciate it.
0: Well, let's start off. Tell me about your testimony. And I watched a video of you and let me ask you something. Were you really an atheist at one time?
1: Oh my gosh. My, I was, my father sat me down when I was 14 years old and told me there was no God and stay away from people like Christians, stay away from them. They're bad people. And, uh, I, I believe in them, which was odd because his father was a pastor. His brother was a pastor. And, um, my father turned his back on the faith when he was a, a teenager, and uh, decided to sit me down when I was a teenager and tell me there was no God. And I didn't give it any thought. I just kind of lived as I wasn't an educated atheist. I couldn't hold it. You know, it's funny in Peter 3:15, he says, "Have an answer ready for when people ask you about your faith and what, you know, what why the hope that lives in you lives in you, whatever." I said, I I would never have an answer why I was an atheist. I just my father told me there was no God, so I believed him. And um, when I hit my 30s, um, I got to a 12-step program. I I went in for alcohol and drugs, and um, they told me to pray. I said, to what? I said, uh, I didn't believe in God. And they said, well, find something. So that kind of set me off on a really an intellectual search more than a, a spiritual search. You know, it's interesting. I always described it as if you're thirsty and I was spiritually thirsty and I didn't know it. Um, it's like when you, you, if you gather water in your hands and you drink it, it quenches it for a little while, but then you're thirsty again. So I kept looking through self-help, uh, new age, uh, Buddhism, all the stuff that was popular, certainly in the eighties. I read all the John Bradshaw stuff, Melody Beatty stuff. Um, on codependency, and I knew there was something inherently wrong with me. I was not a nice human being, <laughs> so I wasn't nice to my wife. I wasn't nice to my kids. I was I was sane enough to not wind up in jail in public, but I had my incidences at red you know of road rage and at red lights, and um, so I, it was really that I just wanted to be better at being a husband and a father and a citizen. And I was miserable inside. And again, I always describe it as, I don't know if you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and you you think, okay, this is a good day. And then this thing descends upon you where nothing matters. And I didn't know there was a name for it. It was nihilism. I really was a nihilist. I mean, I had no hope in anything or faith. you know. And my wife would try to shake me into caring. I mean, she would say things like, I get the impression you don't care about we're losing the house. And I go, I don't. She goes, who says that? I go, well, you wanted honesty. I don't care. You think I don't want to care? I, you know, believe me, I I wake up in the morning. I know what my responsibilities are. I just don't know why it matters to me. And that's kind of where I was for years. You know, um, people would say, you know, you need the higher power. And I'd go, well, if I'm making up a deity, that kind of makes me delusional, doesn't it? You know, The the made up thing works really nice in conversation, but if I'm on my knees in the middle of a storm, like cancer, the death of a child, or a loss of a job, I mean, when life is really crushing in on all four sides, you need to know that there's hope. And I don't know that, not by something I made up. So anyway, I kept looking and searching, and you know we lo- we lost everything. I mean, we did. Uh, the house, we ended up having to sell it probably a month before they foreclosed. I had cars towed out of my driveway um, you know, because I tried to salve these wounds with things I couldn't afford. I mean, I was shocked they sold me the car. I mean, I went down there because we had nothing better to do, and I, I just thought for sure they'd run my credit and go, you can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> which I couldn't. So, um, and they, they hauled that away. And anything that mattered, it's interesting. If you if you do the checklist, if the, the world's checklist, I had a beautiful wife who loved me. I know she did, and, I, and it's gorgeous. I had healthy children. I had a job I loved. I did at one time love it. At this point in my life, back in my 30s, I was questioning all of that. I, w- I actually took some temp work. try to find if i had other skills and the funniest thing i read where domino's pizza would would if you were if you were on the ball and sharp they'd they'd get you a franchise they you could start delivering and work your way up to owning a franchise they were it was that good of a company to work for so i thought well i'll start out delivering pizzas so i got some 19 year old with acne looking at my resume and at that time i had 12 years of comedy you know comedy clubs casinos nightclubs and he says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a comedian. What does that mean? Well, I tell jokes. He goes, where do you do that at? I go, all over the country. How does that qualify you for this job? <laughs> I go, are you kidding me? I can find addresses in towns I don't live in. So imagine how good I could be finding an address with a pizza in a town I live in, you know? And uh, anyway, he he didn't hire me. I came home and told my wife, I go, I, I really I'm unemployable. When they, when you can't get a job delivering pizzas, you know I, I have no other skill set. So then she said, you might as well start trying to get this career back. And and it was it was a hard time the 90s for comedy clubs and um, the uh, if you couldn't draw people in, basically you were a babysitter for drunks. And that's what I had become. I told her one night I got good at something that matters to nobody. And uh, and anyway, I met. I heard about a guy. I uh, I, I always said I trade my alcohol and drug obsession for golf. I traded it in. It's just as annoying, just as expensive, but it's legal, you know. And <laughs> and Tammy grew to resent golf because that was kind of my sanctuary. I would I would all the stress of life would pile in on me at home, and I would go out to just hit golf balls on the driving range, just to get away from it. And for that hour or whatever, I was able to convince myself that everything in life was good and mattered. you know. And um, then I'd go back home and all of that would descend upon me again. And uh, my, the funniest story was about the gerbil. Um, I got to where I was watching my kids' gerbil for a while. And Tammy comes and she goes, what's with you and the gerbil? And I go, look at it. She goes, what about it? I said, it gets sticks on one side of the crate and runs them over to the other side and stacks them up. And when she's done stacking, he moves them back over there and every now and then spins the wheel for a little entertainment, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a gerbil, but I would think that's entertainment for him." And she goes, so what? I go, "If you know, as I project my life going forward, that's basically it. I, I buy sticks. You know, It's a house, it's a car, or whatever it is. These are sticks. And I gather them up and take them to the landfill. You know, Basically, everything we have winds up in the landfill. And then it, we buy new stuff and all that. And if I get a good job, like I get a sitcom deal or a movie deal, we get nicer sticks. But in the end, they're all sticks. They, they're meaningless and pointless things. And if this is my life for the next 20 years, I'm checking out. And she looked at me and said, you checked out years ago, pal. Mm-hmm. You haven't been here for years. She goes, you're not even here now. And she was right. She was talking to me, and my mind was somewhere else. And I, I just i i just wanted to know why i can't tell you how frustrating and angering it is to wake up where you know things should matter but they don't and i knew of guys that committed suicide in l.a because they lost the deal they were this and you know so close to getting the deal and they got the rug got pulled out from under and they just took their own lives so i said is that where i put my ultimate meaning because she said, Why can't it be us? I go, What if you get T-bone at a red light and you go away? You die. What does is, what is that leave? I said, I, I, I can't, You can't explain it to someone who's not in it. You can't. So I heard about a guy that was doing comedy for about 100 bucks a week. He was a millionaire, multi-millionaire. And I, I think at this point I'm reading Ayn Rand. I finally decided, human. I mean, capitalism, I'm going, maybe there is something to making money. If I can learn how to do that, at least I can keep the house and maybe keep my wife. We had filled out divorce papers, had them notarized. We never filed them, but we had them. We were ready to go. And uh, I, I asked to be booked with this guy uh, because of his access to the nice golf courses. Because of his money, he could get me on Augusta National maybe or get me on Mirfield Village and um, so, Obviously, God has other plans for us. So I sit in a golf cart with a guy for four hours. I don't know if you play golf, but you have you talk about things. So we got on the topic of, of accumulating wealth. He says, you don't want a lot of money. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you can't handle what little you have. He says, it would just be a burden for you. He says, you can't begin to enjoy the creation to you have a relationship with the one who created it. Mm. And I thought, that sounded kind of new agey. That's kind of neat. Where'd you read that at? Because it's in the Bible. (laughs) I go. Honestly, I I opened the Bible up in hotel rooms. I just never got it. I mean, I heard it was the living, breathing word of God, and I'd mockingly open it up and go, breathe, breathe on me, breathe. And uh, anyway, we had a couple more conversations. He said something like, if happiness really was truly an act of human will, we'd all be happy who wouldn't will themselves happy. You'd stand in front of them. And that I understood because I've tried. I've tried to will myself to care. So we left that week. He said, I go to a church in Denton, Texas. They teach the Bible. Um, That's all they teach It's the Bible. I think you'd enjoy it. Would you mind if I signed you up for some tapes? He said, "Was it cost me any money? He goes, no. I said, well, you can send me whatever you want. So I mean, we left on Monday. I think Wednesday or Thursday. I had a Bible in the in my mail, and I threw it in the junk drawer. And then the tapes started coming probably a week or two later, and I collected those for a while. Oh, over a year almost. And uh, we had conversations as men would have about sports, about golf, about politics. And then it always got to this how are you and tammy doing not too good phil well, he goes we pray for your wife and you uh, at dinner every night i go why do you do that he's we just don't think marriages should you know god didn't put you two together to just create life and then for you to move on and not be part of those children's lives so we pray for your marriage we believe it's that important and i said thanks it meant nothing to me you know and um after about a year or so um we decided to file those papers you know we were driving to the courthouse and uh tammy um changed her mind about 10 minutes from the courthouse so you know in the in the end you start thinking if you don't think god will bring you to the edge i mean i drive 10 more minutes file those papers i lose probably the last 25 years with a woman i never knew i could love like this Mm. i never knew i could love like this i really didn't and uh, we went back home and about a few months into that, it was summer in the break, she says, I'm taking the kids, I'm going to Ohio, figure out what you want to do with your adult life. If you don't want to do comedy, don't do it. But Jeff, we're losing everything. You got to do something. And she gathered up these tapes, they were all in manila envelopes and threw them on the floor in front of me. I said, I'll listen to them while you're gone. So uh, anyway a week, whatever. I don't know what time it was. It went by. Anyway, I'm walking by, saw the tapes, and decided to open one up. And um, had a struggle getting in on those as well. You know, it's just interesting to me when you think about it. I mean, it was, at one point, my brain chimed to me, it's just biblical trash. It's nothing, you know. And um, anyway, I opened it up, and shockingly, it was the first sermon I ever listened to was on Ecclesiastes. (laughs) So, I heard meaningless, meaningless, all in life is meaningless, and that's just what a nihilist needs to hear. You know, So I go, that's true. It is true. It is true. It's meaningless. And uh, the first sermon I ever heard, I got, life without God will have no meaning. Without meaning in your life, there's no purpose to your life, and without purpose, you might as well commit suicide. Hmm. Summed up in one 45-minute sermon from a 2,000-year-old, 3,000-year-old document. My conclusions after eight years, that was truth to me. And I felt if that was true, there must be other things in this book that's true. And I opened up another tape. I kept looking for Ecclesiastes tapes, but um, I think my two favorite books were Job and Ecclesiastes. So (laughs) (laughs) kind of tells you where where my head and my heart was at uh, 25 years ago. But um, ultimately, uh, I got to Genesis 1-1, which I think Francis Schaeffer said, was the most pregnant verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created. That sets everything off. It changed Europe. When, um, uh, oh gosh, the Reformation. I uh, uh, just, more senior moments. Uh, <laughs> who's the guy that gave the Bible to the masses in Europe? The Reformation, Luther. When Luther gave the Bible to the, the masses, they read, God created. So. First of all, when the masses realized they could actually read the Bible, literacy rates shot through the roof. Everybody wanted to learn how to read all of a sudden. So after that, they read God created. So after they realized God's creator, I'm a creator. It's entrepreneurship shot through the roof. All of a sudden wealth wasn't just in the hands of the wealthy. It became something that the, the huddled masses could do. Uh, it's probably the most influential book uh, it is the most influential book in the history of the world. And, well, let
0: me um, ask you this, Jeff: How long did it take you to win your wife Tammy back?
1: Weeks, really, weeks. Uh, and she went through the whole thing. I mean, I was—I—I was—I I, I was, um, don't know if you ever heard of the cartoon Tudor Turtle. <laughs> when we were kids, Tudor Turtle. Tudor was a little turtle who wanted to be anything but a kid. Today, I want to be a fireman. So the wizard make him a fireman. And he goes, Sir Tutor, you don't want to be a fireman. I want to be a fireman. Eventually, he'd be in a burning building, everything crashing around. He'd be begging the wizard to take him back. I don't want to be a fireman no more. I want to be a little kid. I want to be a kid. So it's basically what everything I searched through was. This is it, baby. I got it. I got it. I I read uh, Buddhism. I said, this is it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. So initially, when I told her I was a born-again Christian, she's, first of all, she goes, what does that mean? I go, honestly, I don't know. I go, I just heard the term. I got, you know, and, I, but I'm to love you as Jesus loved the church. And she goes, what does that mean? I said, that I know what means. He sacrificed his body for the church. I'm to sacrifice for you. And she laughed because she knew how selfish I was. So uh, I started going to church. I said, this is my thing. Like everything else in this recovery thing that I've been doing is mine. I took the kids with me uh, after a couple. We, we had one discussion. She was raised by a family who abused her that were churchgoers, So I understood her reaction. What does that mean for me? You know, are you going to be like my parents? So I understood that. And I said, you know, again, not knowing, not being raised in a church, I had no baggage. I didn't know what it was. It it was just another step in this journey to me. But something changed in me. Something. And I knew it. Uh, I went to buy a Playboy magazine the day after I committed my life to Christ. And as I went to buy it, a little voice in my head for the first time in my entire adult life said, you can't do this. And, I, and I'm talking to myself, what do you mean I can't? All of a sudden I had some guilt about buying something I've been buying since I was 18 years old. And I had to go back in the store and, and sort out what was going on. And I realized, oh yeah, I gave my life to Jesus last night. Is this the counselor he talked about? I will send you a counselor in the form of the Holy Spirit to help you with this life. I'm telling you, it was a weird feeling. It was like, I, 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 again, I've never had, I, you know, oh, the new one's out. I plunked the five bucks down or whatever and I'd buy the new Playboy. I never thought twice about it. But all of a sudden now, it's like, well, you can't do that. And it started happening in other areas of my life. All of a sudden you start paying attention. So kind of with Tammy, her question to me was, if the children died tomorrow, would they go to hell? And I said, that's a good question. I don't know. Heaven and hell are not my domain. I said, look, babe, I'm just kind of starting the first steps on this journey. Something has changed in me. I know that. I felt it. And again, could be, it'll pass. I don't know. But after a few weeks, she, uh, she started coming to church with us and what I knew changed when we sold the house and the escrow lady said, all the money you made on the house is going to pay towards your IRS debt. And I said, it doesn't matter. I said, the only, only thing that matters is sitting at this table right here. Tammy told me about six months later, we were eating dinner one night. She goes, I knew you were a different man when you said that because I believed you. For the first time in our marriage, I felt we were a priority.
0: Mm, wow.
1: And that's... 25 years ago, you know, and I could write a book on this last 25 years on my, the ebbs and flows of walking this, trying to walk this walk.
0: How long have you been yeah. married?
1: 35 years.
0: 35 years. And the last 25 have been the best?
1: Absolutely. We, we, we refer, we meet people who met us. We met you like you were just married. Oh, we're sorry. <laughs> you know, we apologize. <laughs> It was a, uh, a different time, and we were different people. You know,
0: well, how did you begin to weave your wholesome content into your comedy routine?
1: That started before. Um, it's interesting. I, In hindsight, I, I think I could see God's hand in my decisions on a lot of things prior to my commitment. I had, had a fit one night. I had a heavy bag on the porch that I used to hit when this rage would come up, I would go out and beat on the bag. It was about 50 pounds, I guess. And I hit it one night and it fell off the hinges that was holding it. So I picked it up and started throwing it against the fence and I kept screaming at the skies. just like a lunatic. And, um, I looked back and my family was standing at the door. The kids were, six and three maybe, you know, and they were crying. And uh, as you imagine, it doesn't take long picking up a 50-pound bag and throwing it against the fence to get exhausted. And then I started kicking it, and when I got to the point where I got so exhausted, I just fell on my knees and just, again, just, why? Why? That's all I kept saying, why? Why am I like this? Why? why, why. And it's this cascading thing. It starts when I would overreact and eventually the shame would kick in. And then once the shame kicked in, I was gone. There was no coming back. And that's what Tammy used to say to me. She goes, I never feared that you were going to lay a hand on me. It was all self abuse. I'd hit myself in the head. I would Punch walls. I would punch. You know, I would harm myself. That's why I got the bag. At least that didn't hurt. You know. And I walked into the house, and my youngest son, who was three, came over to me and said, "Daddy, you scare me." And I picked him up and held him. I said, "I scare myself, son." And Tammy said, "Get out of the house. Wow. Leave. You live in hotel rooms anyway. Just get out of here." And I looked at her, and this calm washed over me. And I said, it won't happen again. And she said, BS. I said, no. Have I ever said that to you? She goes, why? I said, my father told my mother a thousand times it would never happen again. And it would always happen again. I never said that to you. I know I never said that to you. Because I thought my father was a hypocrite for saying it. I didn't want to be a hypocrite and say it because I knew it would happen again. I don't know why I can say it to you now. I believe that was the moment when I was on my knees begging. I believe that Holy Spirit entered me I had not made a verbal commitment I have not that's just my take on one particular evening and what was it's funny I heard somebody say I don't know if it was CS Lewis that said to the Christian joyous central suffering peripheral to the pagan sufferings central and maybe that's a harsh word but and then joy is peripheral and i think that's what switched I, i've gotten angry since then but nothing like what used to be a weekly daily occurrence um so to say i haven't been angry in 25 years is, is a lie it's nonsense but it's not consuming it doesn't i don't get lost in it i have some control over it um, the self-flagellation is 99% gone, you know, still have moments, certainly when I'm tired. Yeah. But, um, uh, I forgot the original question.
0: <laughs> oh, I, my original question was, how long did it take you to win Tammy back? Oh, and... so
1: anyway, the, the three weeks, probably a month, maybe she saw a difference. And, um, but, yeah, I think three weeks to a month, she started. And then, when she went through cancer, I got a chance to see her faith firsthand. Um, um, we were at a Gaither taping and they laid hands on her and prayed with her. And it was a profound moment in our lives. So she got to bed that night and she said, I felt his presence and this won't be fatal. Oh, and that was twenty-two years ago, I think. So so far it hasn't been.
0: Wow. I mean amazing. you know, I know that the Holy Spirit uh sometimes I think the Holy Spirit hunts us down before we actually know the Lord. And like oh, you said, are, Oh yeah.
1: yeah. We can look The back. Hound of Heaven, the poem, the poem, The Hound of Heaven. Yeah. Chase Me can... Down Alleyway. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well we can look back in our lives and go God was watching me then and then eventually we get led to where we finally make the commitment and say Jesus come right. into my heart you know I want to live for you
1: Oh and, that was uh, a question about cleaning up my material that was Yeah it. yeah that's it Yeah I started cleaning up um I saw a special with Andrew Dice Clay and I looked at my wife and said the next guy who's going to break out of the pack I always looked at comics or entertainment as different packs every level you rise to and eventually if you're lucky you wind up you know I just worked with Jay Leno last week and I said to my wife there's a handful of comics in the entire world that could just walk into any comedy club and they'll put them right up on stage because the whole audience knows who they are Mm -hmm. there's ten maybe we're trying to list them out and Leno's one of those guys so each pack, and I saw Dice Clay and I said, the next guy to break out who's working dirty. And I wasn't dirty, dirty. I, I cussed a lot. But I, the material was kind of the same with what I'm doing now. I just swore a lot. And we got called into school one day because my fourth grade son called his teacher a really nasty name. And um, I told the teacher, I'd love to tell you, I have no idea where that child heard that kind of language. But, you know, my wife and I were trying to make some change. And we were trying to clean up around the kids and um so I just said to her I said I wonder if I can work clean and I started paying my children 25 cents for every bad word I said and it kind of keeps you honest you know uh, because sometimes you're unconscious you know about your tongue so I became really conscious of the language that I use and um uh took me six months maybe um, to really kind of weed out and rework. And that's why I tell comics today. I have writer's nights in my house once a month if I can. COVID's kind of stopped a lot of that. But I used to tell all the young comics, I go, get a thesaurus out. We have a wonderful language. There's no place you cannot work clean. I've never been, you know, there are people who don't think I'm funny, but there were people who when I worked dirty didn't think I was funny. So, I mean, there's 6 billion people. You can't please everybody. Yeah. But nobody's ever walked out on me because they were deeply offended by me. Um, and especially in the corporate world, you know, they, they they care more about that than if you're funny. They just don't want to get a bunch of emails from people, you know, <laughs> about you. And that was the hard part when, when I, I was, a, you know, I'm openly Christian. So initially corporations were a little hesitant to hire me because they thought, I'm not a preacher, (laughs) you know, I I do the same show for you. I do it, the improv that I do at a church that I do. And outside of that, the church, I do my testimony. That's the difference. And it's unless you want that, then, you know, we're just, we're just going to get funny. That's the whole point.
0: Well, what was your defining moment in comedy that you deem as your breakthrough?
1: Dry Bar. Ah. That Dry Bar brought me to the internet in a way that I'd never been, uh, to put it in perspective prior. Certainly. Well, I take this back. I, when I heard, I got dry bar, I never heard of it. My wife who doesn't watch comedy watches dry bar. So that told me something and she said, it's in her feet every day. And then I worked with a guy that had over a hundred million views because of dry bar. And I said, really? Holy cow. So I hired a social media guy uh, who knows how to do that. And prior to hiring him, I had made a thousand views was a big video for me on on my Facebook page. And within three weeks he had had one that went over 600,000. Same videos, it's just knowing what you're doing. So when I got Drybar, Uh, They told me six months they were going to release it. I thought, oh, gosh, I can barely afford this guy. I was kind of hoping. But they called me a month later and said, we're going to release it. So I taped in January, February. They told me they're going to release it probably early March. And uh, I likened it to doing the Tonight Show in the 70s with Johnny Carson when Johnny tapped you on the shoulder and brought you to the couch. Overnight. Literally overnight things changed
0: that's incredible
1: I stopped doing clubs for 20 years just because I could not draw an audience I got tired of babysitting drunks, and uh, I started working churches doing outreach and corporate that was kindly the crux of and there were a couple of clubs I worked in a year you know because mm-hmm. they were um, uh, they were good to me and good for me I mean people kind of knew who I was but um, we're in the middle of a 50 60 city tour right now um, and it's all dry bar uh, it's the internet because i haven't done it I, I, I auditioned for america's got talent but they didn't take me to the live shows so you know wow i, was, I, well, I you know, know
0: like, i watch dry bar all the time and yeah. there's a lot of great talent there and that's where i actually <laughs> saw you for the first time was on dry bar comedy right. i mean i sit there on their instagram page and I don't have to watch TV. I can sit there and laugh for hours just sitting there.
1: They have a great, they have a great franchise, great franchise. Well,
0: let me ask you this, Jeff, who are some of your favorite comedians, let's say besides Jay Leno, who else out there do you do you like?
1: Well, Brian Regan was, uh, I was always a fan of his. Uh, there's a guy who's passed away that was really one of my favorites, was Dennis Wolfberg. Um, uh, Jeff Foxworthy. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't watch much comedy, and then I started watching it during COVID. Um, I found a guy who's probably considered dirty, but I think he's, because I lived in Boston, a guy named Bill Burr. Um, he kills me, but then I'm kind of still, there's this cynical side to me. That, you know, I, um, yeah I, and Tammy's got a dark sense. I mean she she kind of <laughs> leans towards the twisted <laughs> you know, a little bit. <laughs> but uh yeah, I like Brian Regan used to just kill me and now we're watching this show on um Apple called Ted Lasso.
0: My favorite show.
1: Best sitcoms I've ever seen. Um I was sobbing the other night when he was filling out the divorce papers. You know I hope I'm not giving anything away, but when he no, was I, signing though... I'm already I in season over. three. Oh my gosh! Well, we're just finished season one. We're gonna oh, watch, it gets better. Two to- yeah, it, really? it gets
0: yeah, it gets better. Ted Lasso is probably my favorite TV show at this very moment. You know, because yeah, there's so much probably. there's so much real life there. It's funny, but you see a lot of human reactions and. Wait till you see season two. You think season one was great. Wait till you
1: see season two. Oh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, relegation. they're right. relegation.
0: Let me ask you something, Jeff, because <laughs> everybody right now is talking about Dave Chappelle. And some comedians yeah. are saying that Dave Chappelle is saving comedy due to his recent special. Have you seen it? And then what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I've seen it. It was funny. I, I, I was telling my wife, I want to watch it. Uh, I was on a plane coming from Denver Denver. well actually I went from Burbank to Denver Denver. Uh, the next day I, went, I flew home and walking down the aisle I saw five or six guys on their iPads watching the Chappelle special that tells you something when you got a plane of a hundred people or whatever and five people are watching the same thing then it's Again, I didn't see many people laughing, but I saw him watching. Because mm-hmm. I kept looking. There was a guy next to me on the plane from Burbank to Denver. Uh, he wasn't laughing a lot. And I was reading. He had subtitles, and I was reading some of it. Um, I thought Ricky Gervais kind of threw the gauntlet down uh, at the um, uh, <laughs> the awards show when he called him out Yeah, uh, with very funny. Um, uh, I said, It's interesting, the way I look at it, when we came out of the 60s, which had a very tight restraint on speech for comedy, 70s produced some of the best comedy we've ever seen. And I think that Chappelle is is chipping away, and I think you're gonna see more and more of it. The hard thing is, it's not the fans. These people that are pushing back, And there's a number of them Mm -hmm. just don't have the audience that Chappelle has, but they have audiences. It's the venues. What what the cancel culture does when they say they're canceling another act, Mm -hmm. they go after the venue owners. They go after the theater owners and their board of directors. They go after their LinkedIn accounts. They go after they harass them to the point where they go, I'm not going to hire the guy. It's not worth the hassle. It's like with the CRT thing. It's just a shakedown. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It's just the corporations are going, it ain't worth the hassle. They're going to harass my LinkedIn, You know, all of our board of directors and all of the people on their LinkedIn accounts. They know how to do it. I mean, that's where the, it's out of sight of the people. They just go, oh, so-and-so got canceled. Well, no, you can't get hired uh, at the theaters. So it'd be interesting to see where Chappelle, if the theater owners are willing to put him in, or where he works, because the audience is there. Louis C.K. The audience never left Louis. Yeah, never left. They say he got canceled. He got can Well, sure. You know, Apple dropped him, the corporations, and the uh, the board of directors at the theaters, but his audience was still there. They still were fans. What you know, they didn't think anything of it. I. Ten years later, I mean, you know, I'm
0: sorry. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you have people like, like you said, Ricky Treves, Tell And he tells it like it is, right. but we're all laughing because we know it's the truth.
1: Right. Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I thought that opened the door. And, and I thought Chappelle now saying what he said to ABC, NBC, he goes, if this is cancel culture, F, you know, you guys oh, Yeah, yeah. And, at all. That to me was the best thing he ever said because that's what needs to be said. Who are you? I guess, you know, if I got canceled, you know, and we've talked about it. I mean, I don't do politics just because I, I'm in the business of trying to make 100% of my audience laugh. Right. And if you're going to do social commentary, you're not going to make, you know, again. And, and then I also am one of those people who is such a contrarian at heart. They'd even if I had a room full of people who agreed with me, what fun is that? I'd rather, you know, I used to love Megyn Kelly on Fox because it didn't matter who she was talking to, left or right. She was a lawyer. She researched the other side of the argument and made you defend your argument, made you defend your position, no matter who you were. Yeah. And I thought, that's the way it. honest brokers do business. So if I can't write stuff that angers both sides then I'm not going to write it and then yeah. on top of that what fun is that anyway I mean I, I don't
0: well, get a kick out it. When it comes I'm not to
1: that D- guy Yeah. but, but if when they it came after to- me I, I'd have no recourse I don't know what to do
0: yeah, yeah but when it comes to Dave Chappelle he is so big venues will never cancel him out because he brings in the money and a lot of money And uh, my goodness, was it, uh, what, three years ago, maybe four years ago, when um, Charlie Sheen went on some crazy Tiger Blood winning tour and packed the houses out? He had nothing to say, but it was a train wreck. But they made money.
1: Right. Right. Well, that's the thing. And Again, I I said they're going to weigh out the harassment the board of directors gets and the theater owners get because they go after their social media comes. I don't really read much of my social media. I scroll 10 or 15, and then that's it. Every now and then, Tammy will call me in, and she'll go, you gotta do something about that. I had posted a, 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 a personal video about the cloth masks, you know, and how they don't do a darn thing. You know, I mean, Stanford. Oh, yeah. Stanford has since come out and validated my opinion. <laughs> which it was, I had a guy that worked, we were on a uh, a um, shuttle to get rent of cars. And both of us, uh, his, him and his wife had our masks down around our chin and the bus driver slammed on the brakes and told us to put our masks up. It was just the three of us on there. So I shook my head, you know, and, and he shakes his head and, and I go, this is ridiculous. And he goes, I, I work at BioLabs that's what i do i i have to you know we have a saying in the bio lab after you get all your suits on and everything on and everything on if you break wind and you can smell it there's a leak in your your equipment (laughs) so so he says well go home tonight man he says put your put your mask on and break wind and you know so i thought that was funny and i and i I posted a video where i said hey you know you and your wife go out have some mexican food nice dinner you know a nice lovely night out go home put your masks on and just let nature you know happen and then when the kids come in what are you doing you're doing science you're doing science we're learning (laughs) something here you know and i got hammered just hammered people thought i was making fun of the half a million who died and no i'm I was trying to poke back at the bureaucracies who make these things mandated, which they yeah. do nothing. it's yeah, a just, lot of people yeah, it's another signal to the rest of the world that you're better than the rest of the world, you know and, yeah,
0: uh, and there's uh, people people need to get a sense of humor today, and yeah,
1: yeah, I got some in my show I talk about waterboarding um i i, I, I um, what did i uh, what did I say, my father? Used to give us what what's what's the line? The setup is um we've oh oh I know what it is. It's about waxing. That's what it is. We we pay billions of dollars as a culture to have some stranger rip the hair out of our body by the root. But yet we won't let our military drip water on the faces of terrorists, you know, people who want to kill us and end their way of life. And then I said I think the CIA needs to start opening up some spas. That's all I'm <laughs> saying. <laughs> you know, well, and, te- uh,
0: well. tell us about your tour, the America I grew up in.
1: Well, it's kind of just a, 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 an observation, not a judgment call. It's just some observations. You know, I'm writing some stuff now about the way we used to go to the doctor. We uh, we never went to the doctor when I was a kid, ever. You know, uh, my mom, you know, if I had 104 fever, she'd crack an egg on my head. If it didn't cook, you know, I had to go to school. You know, yeah, you're fine. You know, stand in front of the drapes. We had these gaudy drapes, and she'd say, uh, "Just let me check your color. Oh, you're not even close to forest green. Go to school," you know. Uh, and the kids today, because of all these Google DIY, you know, you know, what made you think you know, uh, intubating your son at home with a garden hose was a good idea? You know? <laughs> well, I saw it on a DIY intubating YouTube video. You know, I can't imagine being a doctor today and have to undo what these Google parents, these Google doctors did to their children. We know, again, we never went. Um, and and then it was five, 10 bucks a visit. I mean, it wasn't anything, you know? Um, so that's kind of, and it started with the playground. Uh, when I took my grandson to the playground and I saw the slide, that really kind of set me off. I said, uh, this isn't a slide, it's a scoot. He would go four inches down, wee papa, wee papa, wee papa, you know, pulling himself down the slide. And uh, I thought about what we had. We had six-story high, solid steel, you know, temperature 285, maybe 290 in the summer. You had to do 50 miles an hour. You'd lose two layers of skin if you sat on that thing, you know. And I, people were responding, you know. Foxworthy said something to me. I did, it one, I did his podcast, and he said uh first time he did something about his marriage, he walked on stage and did something, and people laughed. He goes, gee, I wonder if there's other things that happen in my home that other people can relate to. And that's kind of what this was. It started with the slide. I go, gee, I wonder if if there's other generational things, the car seats. I'm not against them. So don't email me, you know, whoever's listening to this. I'm just telling you, I'm tired of strapping my grandson in like a NASCAR driver to go to the mini mart. I mean, it's, uh, we didn't have them. I walked the back seat upright. I was walking loose. I was a free range kid. I mean, you know, yeah, you too, you know, and again, yes, sometimes bad things happen, you know. But yeah. for the most part, and again, I'm not against them. I mean, and I, and I put my seatbelt on, you know, um, when we when we go out. I mean, I'm not because it makes sense. Yeah. But hauling my grandson in and out, I mean, it would be a lot easier to just put him in a seatbelt. You know, he's 70 pounds, 50 pounds. That was the the thing I looked up. They want a four foot nine was the recommendation. And I'm thinking to get out of the booster seat, which means the entire women's gymnastic team has to ride on a booster seat to go get the, to go get their gold medals. I mean, it's, these bureaucrats, you know. And I'm, you're a doctor, you know. I mean, I'm watching stuff now. They 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 basically hijacked medicine and made it political. Yeah, give it back to the doctors. Let them hash it out. I'd rather watch two immunologists debate vaccines than listen to a guy that hasn't worked on a live patient since 1973. You said that's it. The last, that's the last time Fauci dealt with a live patient. Yeah. And he survived for 30 years as a bureaucrat in Washington. You can't have principles and live 30 years in that environment. You can't. No. And that's not a slam on him. It's just... A, so, anyway... <laughs> it's a different world that we live in you know the america i grew up in you know medicine was so you're on tour now i am so uh, i'll be headed out to um where am i going pennsylvania delaware i'm in delaware uh coming up and then um yeah i'm all over they can go to my website jeffallencomedy.com we we post memes on instagram jl Allen comedy uh, on Instagram, we post the memes with the calendar on it, you know, certainly a month out, so people can see. I post, you know, videos, so they can go to my Facebook page and just sign on. Does your and, tour um, go
0: into 2022?
1: So far, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to change it. Um, uh, I'm working on a theatrical show, which combines testimony and comedy. I, I hired a guy, a good friend of mine. I did a testimony for a christian comedians association and um he called me up afterwards he said you know i think you got a show there um i think you could figure out a way to and i said i can't i've tried for years i don't know how my brain doesn't work that way i think more in terms of stand-up you know brevity's the solo wit, get to the point you know and um so anyway we're putting that together i'm hoping to start bringing it out January 1st as a work in progress would love if you got church, we would love to do it at your church. Um, and Robert G Lee is a great stand-up in his own right, been around forever and he's the guy working with me. So we want to take it out together where Robert would go up and do 15, 20 minutes and I would do what we've, what we've got and entertain, you know, and because it, it deals with salvation and restoration and redemption. I'd like to first do it in the churches to where I get comfortable with it. And, uh, and then, then I would love to be able to bring it to secular performing arts centers and things. Um, well,
0: I think the time is right where people of faith like us go mainstream because right. Jesus said the harvest is there, the harvest is ready. The harvest has been ready for the last thousand years But it's time to to break outside the four walls and to go mainstream and show people there's another way. But in this case, they can laugh at the same time.
1: Right. Well, that's the goal. You know, obviously, it's an entertainment evening. But if I had to pick a topic, it wouldn't be political. It would be salvation. You know, I don't know how about you, but I was watching something last night I think it was Tucker uh, talking about that woman that was raped in broad daylight on a subway train in New York while everybody sat by and watched and I screamed at the TV you reap what you sow this is Darwin there were no there wasn't one man on that subway car that felt that that woman's life and dignity and self-respect and was worth risking jumping in and breaking i mean and taking this guy on that's darwin the brutes are winning the strongest of us are now in charge and if there was anything that the christian foundation brought this nation it was a sense of grace There needed to be grace. We all need forgiveness at some point in our life. And there was an understanding that people needed to be forgiven. And there's not a lot of forgiveness and grace in this at all. I don't see it. It's certainly not mainstream anymore.
0: No, Um, not at all. I mean, I can't. So that's kind of what I'm
1: hoping if I could bring a message. Yeah. To people along with Funny and through my, our pain, Tammy and mine, our pain and suffering was, um. That in the end that you're right there's a better way there's and better that's way. something that aligns more with what i believe truth is that we were designed and created for a special purpose and um, every child out there, every human being out there is a child of god and they deserve our respect and dignity now their choices don't necessarily yeah but um the, i can separate the choice from the person you know the, oh, absolutely. the person well, deserves Jeff- respect and dignity
0: yeah, Jeff. I want to thank you so much for spending your time telling oh. us your story. Because I know all of my viewers and my listeners are are going to be so blessed to hear your life. You're basically your life story for us today. Because people need to know that there is a way. There's a way out, and we know that yes. Jesus is the way out. He leads the way out, but he also leads us in to where. He is at, and that's what we want people to know, that Jesus is Savior, He's healer, He's Redeemer and Deliverer, and He certainly did that for you. Yes, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Jeff Allen, and when Jeff Allen comes to a town near you, you need to go see the America I Grew Up In tour. Go to JeffAllenComedy.com. Follow him on social media. Again, I personally spend time on Instagram just to laugh after a long day watching Jeff Allen uh, comedy videos. And we all know that laughter is the best medicine. We'll be right back.